Today we're going to be talking about sex, Pokemon, and charity. That is one sentence I never thought I would say before, but here we go. Welcome to Save Point. Save Point is my little sidestep to bits of time and filling in on all the news about JRPGs, RPGs, and all that goodness and I decided my first co-host must be titular in this community and know everything there is t- about it. So I brought on my older brother, Larry. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, the person who barely plays RPGs. <laughs> I, I just want to say it's an absolute honor to be do- hosting a podcast episode with you. I never thought we'd get to this point. So Neither did thank I. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so what that intro... We're going to break down some video game news. And why I brought Larry on for this one, because there's a lot of stuff that permeates just outside of RPGs, and I still wanted to cover it, but it, it fits nicely that all these things happen to be in the genre of RPGs. Hey, I will definitely still give you my opinions on JRPGs if you want me to. Yeah, absolutely. And Pokemon's in this twice, which will be very interesting. And that's I think that's where we're going to start. Larry... It sucks. There was a devastating fire in Hawaii. It terrible. I hope everybody's safe, but obviously a lot of people lost their lives, and it's, it's going to take them a very long time to recover from that. So every I've seen a lot of charities everywhere. Excellent. But Pokemon, the company, decided to donate $200,000, which to me, well, that's, well, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that people don't like this? <laughs> No, honestly, I'm not sh- shocked anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's, I think we were kind of talking about this a little bit off podcast, but it's gotten to the point now where it doesn't matter how much you donate. It only matters in percentage to what you own financially. And it seems like, so if you're someone who makes $100,000 a year, right? You better freaking donate more than 1% of your income. And people are like 10, 15, 20, 30%, whatever it is. And so you could take, yeah, okay, fine. Pokemon uh, Niantic. No, that that was Pokemon Go. Part of their team. See, this shows you where my... Yeah, yeah the Pokemon <laughs> company. They could Game Freak. Abso- Game Freak. Thank you. They could absolutely donate millions of dollars if they want to. But guess what? They didn't have to donate a dime. I think that's where I'm a little confused about. Now, there is some tie, like, I think some tournament or something like that is supposed to be held and an event we'll say mm-hmm. it's supposed to be held in hawaii either the next year or the end of this year i can't remember so you know people are like they're using it as publicity to then promote their events but that's mm-hmm. not what it's about i don't think i mean even if it is <laughs> it's one of those things where listen there are human tragedies that happen every single day why are you not mad that no one's donating money to any of them on a regular basis? Like, True. I just, I think, and it's one of those things where if someone donates $10 and someone donates $1,000, right? Does that mean the person donated $1,000 is better than the person who donated $10? No, but the money goes further. <laughs> and so a $200,000 donation is a $200,000 donation. I, I just, you didn't have, they didn't have to do it. That's a lot of money that, um, you know... We've seen the it'll t- fix a half of a house. In yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's my problem with people who start donating. Like, oh, this is only point zero three percent of their net worth, and you shouldn't equate that. It should just be this is a generosity charity. Charity is not 
mandatory. It's not something you're forced to do. It is you just do it. Not because of maybe some people do it because it affects them as a person like, oh, I did this, so I'm a good person. Mm. But you just do it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't shout out when I do generous things all the time. Some people like the validation from that, but I'm never going to scoff at somebody donating this amount of money to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a company and it helps their image or hurts their image, whatever it is, it's now getting more people to talk about it and see eyes on the story. So maybe that in itself yeah. is going to be a good thing. Obviously, this is only an audio podcast. You made an interesting face when I said the person who donates $1,000 is better than the person who donates a dollar. I- I'm not saying you literally think that, but run me through that talk pro- or that thought process on your end. Oh, because <laughs> uh, I compare it to, I saw on social media some debate between this. Like, I donated $100, and that's like 10 or 20% of my income. Or it was probably, numbers are made up, but I don't remember what it was. And it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what how much you make, because... Your $100 that you donated does not compare to the $200,000. Mm-hmm. It's just simple math. Yeah. That $200,000 is going to go way further than your, oh, I feel good. I Here's $10. And that's not dis... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not devaluing your, your choice to give some company $10 to help with the relief or anything like that. But you have to look at it, even if it's more of your income personally, the people on the other end don't know that. They don't care about that. They just care about seeing the money to help their country or their state or whatever be rebuilt. Yeah, there's a reality check that I think tends to get lost in debates like this a lot of the time where it's like, listen, I'm not going to say one person's better than the other. Everyone's in different spots in their life. But like you worded it perfectly there on the back end where the money goes. All that matters is the amount and what they can do with it. And it's amazing. You know what? Would it be better that the $200,000 was donated by 200,000 individual people? Maybe you got a community of people. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But, or would they all be crapped on because they only gave a dollar? <laughs> they would, right? <laughs> They'd be like, so, I gave a dollar. Oh, that's, you just rounded up that amount. I've done that at a store before, but oh, I yeah. still feel good about it. Yes. I don't <laughs> praise it or whatever. But yeah, if you were like, oh, well, you only gave a dollar. That's less than a percent of your mm-hmm. income. So you're just like the Pokemon team. But it, yeah, at the end of the day, charity is good, but I hate that we're now skewing that lens when it's from a company or from somebody you disagree with politically or whatever their intentions was. It doesn't matter because all that matters is the people need the money to help their lives return to normal. You said politics, so I got to bring them up. Biden right now, I'm seeing him. He's kind of getting himself in a little bit of trouble because, you know, he has a plan that he's going to donate $700 to every citizen who was, you know, affected by this fire. And I'm seeing all over the internet now. People are arguing $700. What's that going to do? And it's like, it's just like, listen, you can't argue one way or the other. It's still at least something and look at it congruently. I don't know exactly the total number of how many houses that were affected, but $700 times however many, you know, that's still more money than nothing. Significant, yeah. And, and the Pokemon company probably donated more. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, but yeah, yeah. but maybe, yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. But yeah, it's just one of those things where I, I think we get into these petty fights. I, honestly, I'm just convinced people just don't have enough time on their hands, and so they just see a story and they're like, "Oh, there's not enough zeros behind that. There should be more. How dare you?" Yeah, I've seen everybody's like, "No, that number should be two or three million. Maybe it should, but it's not, and that's the reality. And again. Charity is not mandatory. So just be thankful that this... Uh, nah, not thankful. Be... Pr- 
praising the amount money raised totally. Don't go after the individual people. How, how about unless this? it uh, adversely affects you? I guess. Fair. No, I, I agree with that statement actually. But I was gonna say, how about this though? So because it's a video game developer and people are upset at how much money they're making, how about since the internet loves this, all the fanboys, instead of yelling at them for donating only two hundred thousand dollars, why don't you go yell at Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft for not donating anything? Yeah. At least as of this point. Yeah. Maybe they have by now, but yeah. Okay. Go use your wrath congruently. <laughs> Spread it out I'm not normally. Sure. There you go. That works. <laughs> but this is not the end of the Pokemon topic because this is an RPG news. Scarlet and Violet, it came out and it did not por- perform uh, technically sound, we'll call it. It did not, uh, had some issues, if you didn't know. Just a couple. The fact that my daughter was able to pick those out is yeah. a problem. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that is a problem. So now Pokemon is looking at ways to improve their dev cycle. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just lengthen it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. What? So a lot of it is tied to they are, for the longest time, just like Call of Duty, had to get a game every single year, right? Hmm. And Pokemon is in the same because of shareholders, because of Game Freak, whatever. The Nintendo Corporation or partnership they have to release a game every year to tie in with the the cards coming out, the anime. They can't delay one thing because then it'll mess up with this whole cycle they got going. Mm-hmm. So is it that simple, though? Uh, that's the reason for why or the, that they should just increase dev time? I, I honestly think what they could maybe look at doing is doing kind of what Call of Duty does with their three studios or four studios that work on Call of Duties where they overlap each other. So I think that's exactly what they need to do. Really what they could do is they could split their team up, have one long-term team that maybe has a three to four year dev cycle and then two or three teams that do like a one and a half year cycle or something like that for the quicker games. Yeah, so it, it seems so obvious to me like right now you could have a team that's doing internally so you Hire more people. You are the you are you you're the company that makes the most money in the entire world. Like the, which is insane to me. But you have one company doing remakes like Let's Go. So you remade yep. for a different audience. You do that. Then you have another company doing a spinoff, and then you have a company that's doing new. And you could even do a fourth. You can have the Arceus offshoot. Like mm-hmm. when I think of um, offshoots before that, it's like. The Pokemon Rangers, the Mystery Dungeon. You know, like, it's, it's still Pokemon, but it's a totally different game style. Mm-hmm. But yes. now you could put in the Arceus team to be making another game that comes out in two years. I still think it's Arceus, by the way. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. <laughs> so you know, I, I 100% agree with that. I think, yeah, you're right. Can you imagine a Call Pokemon, of Duty. Can you imagine a Pokemon game with, like, a five- to six-year dev cycle? What they could actually do? Yeah. Like, literally make it look like the TV show anime. Oh, my God. Come It'd on. That would be That would be, be great. And my thing with, you know, people give them crap, but they were... No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sword and shield, the tree thing. My gosh. Yep. The, the thing that I like to try and think about is they only worked on handhelds for so long. And doing the jump to the Switch, yeah, it looked better, but it wasn't that upgrade that people wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just not used to this architecture yet. Give them time. Maybe have poach people from other companies to like show them like hey xenoblade 3 works great tears of the kingdom works great you can have these bigger experiences without so many bugs that 
bring those people on to the team. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. The fact that they have the team that made Zelda in, you know, their, they're there. Just go talk to them. I know like, they're, yeah, figure it out. Like, I know they're not exactly Nintendo, yes. but they're, they they're only make, yeah, like, they have a very strong partnership. You can't hold them to the same ideals because Nintendo has no say, like, hey, you got to publish this game this year. No. Yeah. They're like, we're the game freak cycle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have examples of very taxing games working on the Switch. Yes. Very open world expansive games. Well, and again, I think this all ties into perhaps maybe your next subject. The th- idea behind longer dev cycles and just allowing developers to work on their games for a longer period of time and the publisher giving them both more money and time because on the back end, they're going to be... I mean, hopefully Baldur's Gate 3 is that, right? It's okay. You just, Larian was able to work, or however you pronounce the team's name, six years, I believe, was on Baldur's Gate. They had yeah. three years of, like, just closed betas, open betas that allow people just to try the game out. And that's unheard of nowadays. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, because I run in the cycle where it's bad both ways, which is, which is, very, this is why this next topic is interesting to me, because I look at the, the drip feed of our PlayStation exclusives right now, and it's too little. Like, they are trying their hardest to get two big games a year. And to me, it doesn't really justify a new console if you can only give me two games, new new experiences a year. So this year, it is Marvel Spider-Man 2 and we Final Fantasy 16. That is it. As of right now, there could be a surprise hit announced tomorrow yeah. that I don't know about. That's a good point, though, because... And I think, though, that also shows the importance of overlapping your development cycles correctly but having studios i think this is why like if you were making if you were xbox if you were playstation you look at okay we need one or two or three while we're building five to six year development cycle titles the big ones that hit that everyone it shuts down the industry for a couple weeks you need some two to three year ones but you need some year you need ones that hey this game's good let's come up with a sequel so it releases next year or like 14, 15 months after. You need things that people hit on all different levels. And yeah, to PlayStation, it, again, they've been the king outside of Nintendo for a long time. And they're, and still, they're, kinda, they're still doing the struggle that now Xbox yeah. is finding themselves in. Like, yep. we still don't have a steady cadence, yep. which I get is very hard when you're trying to manage all these studios. And knowing that, you know, games are so much more involved, more expensive, you know, the industry has definitely blown up there way more money makers and all that jazz and the problem is you're torn between a publisher that wants to get their money which makes sense that they're their publisher it's just how it works and you look at games like apex fortnite just making money hand over fist for just seasonal content you know i heard uh, there was another podcast i can't remember which one i was listening to but they had mentioned they're pretty convinced that fortnite has probably made more money than every single ip sony owns combined in total i would not be surprised like, that's why, again, when people say, oh my gosh, I'm so sick and tired of all these companies going to live service games, this is why. There's a lot of money there. Which is the the f- interesting part with that, because I agree. Nintendo is the oddball out where they make so much money on selling single-player games. Mm. Well, single-player, uh, what is it? Not totally seasonal content games. I think of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which has now 
DLC after like six years of being out, which is so weird to me. <laughs> well, uh, but I mean, look at the player count. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> over 50 million sold. Like, that is an anomaly, but it's not because Breath of the Wild's over at like 30 million. Super Mario. It's just, it's Animal in, Crossing. Yeah, it's insane how these two different things can happen. So, Baldur's Gate 3 comes out, very, very high remarks, very tight. No, not tight. A more generous development type time and they had early access so they got a lot of feedback the problem is they are good at that type of game right well it's actually by the way you know the thing is getting lost in the shuffle with all that is there's crashes there's loading time errors there's graphical issues but because it's such a good game this shows you people are technically willing to forego some of that if you give them a deep game with lots of choice. Yes. So it's not a rush game, but every game's probably going to run into some technical difficulty just because of all, again, games are more expansive and there's a lot more going on than us plebs would ever know about, yes, you and yes. me, Larry. But I think, yeah, where where do you draw the line? They, they're good at that type of game, but as a publisher, you can't put that much time into every single IP because you just don't know if it's going to come out at the other end worth your time and money. Baller's Gate 3 obviously knocked out of the park. Same was Tears of the Kingdom. They spent six years making a very refined sequel. It's not just DLC. I hate that argument. And it worked. And it's going... I think it's going to sell more in Breath of the Wild at the end of the day. And that's insane. They just made the sequel to one of the highest rated ever games. And that's that in itself is actually kind of like scary, right? Yeah. You're t- are you going to strike twice with lightning? Well, they did. Yeah. So wh- wh- yeah, I don't I don't know where you go from here, but it is interesting that all these not all these. Like some companies are afraid of this new norm that Baldur's Gate 3 is setting. Well, they should be afraid of Tears of the Kingdom then as well. Yeah, I I guess that is the interesting thing, right? It does seem like I wonder why the outcry is happening with this game is it more because it's an rpg because the amount of choice that is involved in this game i guess is just almost mind-blowing and i just wonder because when you see zelda and it comes out and it's critically acclaimed across the board you don't see developers and people saying like this is the new standard you know what they did it with i guess breath of the wild with i was world. thinking the physics of breath of the wild it did that right mm-hmm where you think it's going to spawn all these new things. Maybe people are just worried about that. Like now companies are like, I have to have such a, a Bethesda level, which is weird. Yeah. A Bethesda level, like impact on your game as a player, the agency type yeah, of thing. I just wonder maybe if this is the first time in a while we've seen an RPG hit like this, I guess, where it's kind of hitting the mainstream a little bit. Because, like, there's obviously, like, Final Fantasy 16 was incredible, but it's not this style of diehard, like, you know, the D&D style. Yeah, but, maybe Because you're seeing... It's weird to see developers say, hey... And I get why they're saying it. They're saying, hold on, like, we don't get this much time to make a game. Please don't expect this. Because I can also see, like, you know, when you see these developers saying... This is the new expectation the gamers are going to have. And they're like, no, 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 don't expect this. It's like, well, no, as a gamer, you want to expect more. But the reality of it is interesting. And I think what's lost in that argument, because I would agree, but I also don't agree, because this is such a different game. And I feel like people's expectations now are, no, not every game is going to be this, right? This is, one, it's more in the CRPG realm Mm -hmm. where... You have that much agency over the game. 
It doesn't mean it's going to bleed over to, like, your next Super Mario game. Like, oh, I can do this, and it messes with this element in the story. You know what I mean? I feel like people get lost on, oh, this is going to permeate to everywhere in games. Which, there's some things that have, like, act or... RPG elements is literally in basically every game out there. Yeah, but I think the talking point isn't necessarily more about the features. It's more about the amount, the fact that they were given enough time to create the full game in there. Because, you know, we're we're living in a society nowadays where games are releasing like 75% complete. And then, yeah, that's a good point. And so they're saying like, look at this game. Yeah, it had some bugs and stuff like that, but they gave you a X amount of hour long game that is complete it's everything they said it was going to be. And I think there's maybe just like a refreshing nature to that. Because, you know, like you could come up with like a, a, a five to ten hour game, right? That is feature rich and it's complete. But this is a game that people are going to be spending hundreds, if not thousands of hours in. And it's complete. And I think just that is a rarity nowadays. You know what? What is the problem with it? It's us consumers. We buy games whether they're buggy or not. Yes, that's very, very true. I mean, it comes down, it's that whole vote well, you with your I mean. wallet thing. I don't think boycotting works. You can boycott whatever you want, but you have to, it has to be to a, a level like a cyberpunk. Hmm. But the problem with that is it's still sold extremely well, so it doesn't matter. They didn't learn their lesson. Well, well, but in fairness, though, too, I think the more and more that I've researched on cyberpunk, the more that I've read that... It was the con- the consoles that were the problem. The PC, it yeah, was they should have pretty good. Just been like we're severing the yeah. lower connection or the past generation. That would have solved a lot of things. Yes. Now it didn't run perfectly on PC all the time either. No, but that's a whole. We've had a lot of ports lately of, on PC that are just not working well. Yeah, so, which is strange. <laughs> I know, I know. So you have to you have to start having. It's a very fine line, right? You have to have look at the game that is being streamed or whatever it is. And have expectations. Will you spend your money on this product if it's, you know, well, this doesn't really work and I feel like they're just paywalling it. Well, then move on or wait for a discount, you know? You know what throws a wrench into it, too, though, is the fact that we have so many subscription-based services. Yes. Like Game Pass, right? It doesn't matter. Then. You can kind of just get it out there and people are going to try it and go from there. Or Again, like the games as a service whole idea, right, is, hey, okay, maybe the game doesn't have everything right now, but it's going to. And there's a lot of developers who, maybe it's the producers, that just are like, yeah, you know, get it out there, fix it later. Yeah, that worked for Redfall, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's an that's an interesting case. I'm yeah, and that's that's why I find Nintendo to be so intriguing in this sphere because their focus is generally not on live service games. They have Splatoon three, they have Mario Kart Deluxe. <laughs> that game just never stops selling. Could, could you make an argument that it, like Animal Crossing is kind of live service? Yeah, I, w- I would say that too. And it seems like people said it kind of dropped the ball in content. I don't, I've, I don't play Animal Crossing, so it, its content apparently ran out earlier. That would also, but, but be it doesn't argument. matter because it's like one of the highest selling games. Yeah. <laughs> so we keep doing this to ourselves, but we also mm. should demand better. But I think you, you know, when you see a game, there's some that are surprising. But you know after watching uh, you know, preview events and that stuff, you know whether you, the game is more content fulfilled than other games. 100%, yes. And so just use your best uh, judge of character on the publisher and whatever, and we'll go from there. But uh, the, the Baldur's Gate 3 is just very interesting. We're in this very strange sphere of 
yeah, I want more games to come out more quickly, but games should also take more time. But you're going to lose interest in me if I don't get this drip feed of stuff. But then you look at this year and just every game decided to come out. So strike a balance, yes, <laughs> please. Yes. I don't need like 15 games come out that could be contender for game of the year. Agreed. Even though, also, just a little side note, why is there so much emphasis on game of the year lately? Have you noticed that? Like, I just want to play a game and all of them can be games of the year. It's, but, it's social you know, media. We need uh, something to collect. Yeah, argue that, that, <laughs> that is very true. And I love doing our game of the year episodes and stuff. But yeah, <sighs> stop it. <laughs> Slap you. Speaking my of love. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, speaking of love. Yeah. Uh, so what is it? Baller's Gate 3. A very sexually forward game. You can sleep with a bunch of people. Everybody wants to sleep with you. People are praising us. There's a couple Bestiality. People. Yeah, bestiality. You can have sex with a bear and everybody is like, it's making new cycles. It's like getting people to buy the game. But then a Japanese role-playing game comes out and a girl has some cleavage and it's like, nope, don't buy this game. What is... I don't want to use the word racist, but it's like a... Why is the standard so much different between Western games and romance options? I think of Mass Effect 2, everybody, you know, loving that romance options. But then if a girl shows too much skin in an RPG or an Eastern developed game, like out of Japan or China or whatever, it gets like bastardized. I think the only thing that I could possibly think about outside of there being cultural differences and standards that I don't understand why people are being choosy over the other is in some of the games that you showcased right there it's there's a plethora of options it's not just the there's the woman it's you get every possible option and because society is so strange nowadays somehow a woman showing cleavage is not good but sleeping with an animal (laughs) (laughs) it's absurd when you look at it side by side and i and i wish more people were talking about this because it doesn't make any sense. I think of one of my favorite games of all time, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. And so much of the talk around it is about the large-chested nurse. And I'm like, but her character was awesome. The cycle they went through, I mean, the game's all the characters crazy. But that was a focus, and it was a, a, a notch against it. In a weird way. And again, I understand that, like, yes, of course there's been over-sexualization in the industry. That, that is a thing. But... I don't think people realize it's like, okay, so for the people who happen to have a larger chest or the person who happens to walk around wearing a little bit extra cleavage, when you say that that's like being, you're being sexualized, what if that's just how, like, I guess I just don't quite understand why we're focusing on it so much. Because now more than ever, games are showcasing a whole just spectrum of different sexuality options so why are we still focusing on well they're going back to that like, no, just let them do what they want and knowing that media outside of games and well and in games too we are giving the power to that like if a person like bayonetta wants to be sexualized that is okay but the second we do it for a different character in a different setting it's not empowering it's taking away it's misogyny mm-hmm. and i don't understand why it's definitely segregated to that anime-esque RPGs. Do you think it's because sometimes they look childish or underage? I can see that. 
Like, uh, don't show like kids in skimpy outfits, like yeah. or yeah. kid-like characters. And and that's definitely something that I mean, I'll even admit, like I've had a hard time with. Like, there's a lot of what is it, the mag ma- manga magna? I don't even <laughs> manga manga yeah. manga. Thank you. There's those. There's some portrayals that you kind of look at some of the women and there's like, yeah, they do give them kind of a younger overall look. And maybe there's a level of just being uncomfortable. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like that's where the arguments come from, though. It's just they're over-sexualizing women. And but then it's okay if the women in Baldur's Gate 3 really want, like this orc woman really wants to have sex with me. But if in another game, a nice, beautiful, big-chested woman wants to have sex with me, that's bad. Yeah. Orc woman, good. It's I like, th- what? <laughs> what I think is happening is we're in the adolescence stage of figuring out all these arguments. Because it used to be it was only, you know, video games are just made by a bunch of men who are, you know, whatever. Yes. And they're over-sexualizing women. Now we're starting to get the options. But it feels like it happened too quickly. And so, or maybe it just it, it sl- hasn't happened quick enough. And so there's now becoming empowering women and men and bisexual gay lesbian wherever you're at but there's still that happening so you still have to fight against it i think what's going to happen is eventually it's going to be like okay like we're just just go go have at it because we got everything we need i hope yeah minus having sex with a bear i i don't understand how that is okay and i have to uh, whatever doesn't really matter yes and i think I, I even sometimes when I'm playing an RPG and the are all the women characters are in skimpy outfits or like it's bikini armor versus, you know, big bulky armor. That's, that been, should, a, that's been a thing for a long time. Exactly. Right? And sometimes I still feel like that when I'm playing a game and I'm one that is, uh, I wouldn't consider myself a prude or anything like that, which is totally fine if you do think like that. Yeah. But I just find myself, you know, if I'm playing next to my fiance and... I'm just like, oh, I don't feel totally comfortable watching this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, this is a little strange, but at the same time. I feel like that's a good kind of base level to like grade where you're at with your feelings on games like that. If you're not comfortable with like other people watching you play the game, maybe there's something there. Yeah, it, it and it's not like I'm not totally, I don't want to stop playing, but it's just like these choices are a little strange. But I'm okay with that because I'm okay with the developer wanting to do that. And if they, you know, I think it was the creator of uh, Nier Automata. He just liked yes. her. And some people are like, that's so stupid. I was like, but it's the I creator's. I love the honesty. Yeah, yeah, it's honest. It's the creator's decision. If you don't like it, you don't play it, right? Mm-hmm. And, I'm biased because I love that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, we're in a very strange position right now. And yeah, I don't know where we're going to go from here, but it's going to be very interesting. And it just... Keep an open mind when you look at these articles about Baldur's Gate 3 and promoting the horniness and stuff, which I, I don't mind. It's kind of fun. But just then the next time a Japanese role-playing game comes out and you see a different headline, just just question it. Be like, why is this not one for one? Yeah, 100%. And you can basically do that with any argument that's floating around there. And you realize they don't really hold up. I, I will definitely say this, though. I'm going to predict that there will be a breaking point with the sexualization story in some game at some point over the course of the next couple of years. I, I just feel like there's going to be a game, something's going to happen that's going to cause the internet to like, really, you're going to have to pick a side. And I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe it's the next Mass Effect. <laughs> but like, something's going to happen eventually where people are going to be like, okay, wait a second. Now you're being kind of ridiculous on one side over the other. Hmm. So we'll see. 
Larry, we will see just like we won't see any new JRPG games in our list because I did just did an episode earlier this month or maybe last month, depending on when this comes out. And I'm sorry to you, Spotify listeners. I have no idea why the it got lost in the ether. It's not coming to your, your platform. So I am very sorry about that. But this is Safe Point Episode 2. And how we're going to end this show is we're going to take a, an established franchise. This one's a little strange. And talk about where we would like to see it go. Larry, you are a sort of Mario guy. You like some Mario games. Super Mario RPG is getting remade decades later. That's very exciting. We had the Mario and Luigi series. We had the Paper Mario series. Super Mario RPG kind of started this RPG with Mario. Then we went to Paper Mario. Then it's Mario and Luigi. And the Paper Mario games have definitely skirted their RPGs. You know, it's definitely going away from traditional one. And now we have the remake that's a very traditional RPG. Where would you like to see a Mario RPG series go? Do you want more remakes? Or do you want something new? Do you want a sequel? Tell me. Yeah, th- this is an interesting subject for me because obviously I never... I, l- I actually quite enjoyed Super Mario RPG back in the day. Uh, I got stuck at the Power Rangers. Mm, I remember <laughs> that, yeah. And it was a refreshing take on- for a series. However, I would argue this. So they've... They're doing... What is it? The, the tactics, uh, Mario and Rabbids. Yep. They have that stuff. I feel like they're really dabbling in a lot of different areas. I think something, especially because when I think of RPG, I think of mature. I think of it's a you're not usually getting like a 13 year old or 12 year old to play. I'm not saying, of course, we all did. But usually RPGs require a little more time, a little more patience. So your gamers are a little bit older. I think it would be kind of interesting to see Nintendo give Mario a little bit of a darker tone and twist to an RPG. Not like incredible, but like make Bowser truly terrifying. Maybe Wario and Luigi or uh, Wario and Waluigi have a little bit more of a dark twist to things. Hmm. And, you know, maybe bring in the ghosts, (laughs) you know, just kind of give it a little bit of a different flair where there's a little bit more of a serious tone to it all. Still comical at times. You know, you, you got your whimsical. See, that's what I like about Super Mario RPG is that it is, you know, there's a dark theme. You have this invading force that is changing the entire land, but you still got the goofy characters yes, and stuff. Yes. I don't know if I'd want Mario to do that. Well, because I guess here's my, my argument for it, though, is I don't know what else they would do. And maybe you're going to just completely... Because it's like, okay, fine. They're just going to perfect Mario, Super Mario RPG and go further. I yeah. Like, I, I, okay, maybe, maybe that's the way Here, it goes, but that's an easy answer. <laughs> it's not. Because we have yet to get a sequel for 30 years. We've evolved this Mario RPG, and it's gotten more and more lighthearted. Maybe there's some darkner, uh, <laughs> sprinkles of darkness in it. But I feel like it has gone away from traditional RPGs. So I think we have plenty of room to expand on that. With a sequel, a direct sequel. So, okay, then since you're the expert. Well, I'm, I'm not you, saying I'm an expert. <laughs> what, but what would you like to, Where I guess, what mechanics? What is it, like, it, name some JRPGs that you would like to it for it to take some of its influence from. So, I mean, it's traditional. So I would just say, like, go the Dragon Quest route, but also keep the implementation of, you know, time button presses doing more damage, you know, Mario's jumping up more, whatever. It's, keep that, but then general uh, move the general themes over to a sequel but keep it different so like 
maybe we are still exploring Mushroom Kingdom, but there's another world, another dark world that comes into it or something like that. Kind of like a Link to the Past type thing. Mm -hmm. But then I have the returning characters, so your original party like Gino and Mallow, have them in the world. But give me like two different new characters. Let's see, I'm going to lean on the fact that you said dark world. There's your chance for a darker. <laughs> okay, so when you say dark, I don't, I guess in my head, I don't see like Bowser, Wa Wario, Waluigi being like, you know, grittier and more evil. I'm fine with doing the Kirby route where. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Where yeah, it is lighthearted and everything, but the last boss is like this god eating destructive force. Mm -hmm. Like, go with that route. So it's like Permian, we still have, you feel the sense of tension building. But you don't, like, strip it down to, like, oh, this is Mario Mature. Kind of like I thought implementing Mario with a gun was a bad choice, but it ended up working out for that world. It's interesting and unique. Do that shift. Yeah, I suppose, though, so the only issue, oh, one of the issues with my argument of having it be a, more of an adult game. When I say adult, I'm not saying, like, suddenly there's going to be nudity in some of the <laughs> Just more mature. I guess the problem with that is, right, you have Mario as such an iconic character around the world that if there is a Mario, there's clips of Mario online with like a darker tone to them, maybe oh, that th hurts the franchise. I think about all those like artworks where, you know, like taking Mario and put him into like real life situations and like gritting it up. And it's a cool concept, but I don't know if it worked for an entire game. Yeah. And I feel like it would really lose some of Mario's charm. I mean, Mario's definitely evolved in a lot of different ways, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. In yeah. that regard, I guess then from like the RPG standpoint, though, I guess what is it? Again, obviously, it has to be about the characters. It has to be about some of the unique mechanics. My issue with that argument is, and again, this is my, I, my personality or my opinion, Jeepers. I don't think the Mario characters are usually the, what are memorable about the games. It's more the exploration. You see them, but it's not like I want to listen to them re read a whole bunch of text. Well, I like mean, that. Toads are freaking hilarious in every RPG, so okay, that's fair. great. But I think I think you do go on a point. Mario is a caricature of himself, and <laughs> so I love that in you know in Super Mario RPG, he does not talk, but he talks like in his actions and all. So keep that going, and yeah, explore the Mushroom Kingdom. Just think about. Uh, we talked about Super Mario Odyssey last season and how going to the kingdoms and exploring them is what you want. So Mario is still the vessel to explore these things. So now you just add a different party. You have quips between the party members. You know, Bowser joining you in Super Mario RPG was such a landslide moment. It's like, oh my gosh, I get yeah. to play as Bowser. And he was funny. He was interesting. Yeah. So I think there's enough there. And I think it's more about... So what would the story be, though? Like, is it you're saving Peach again? I mean, that wasn't in Super Mario RPG. Agreed, but I'm saying, like, so, like, what would be the next thing that they would... So, I think you play off of... It'd be very strange, but... I'm not going to say what the invading force is, because people are going to be playing Super Mario RPG for the yep. first time, and it's very exciting. So, do that again, but in a different way. You know, I think in a weird way, that's what made Super Mario RPG... And again, at the time, I didn't have the feelings of the Mario franchise that I do now, but... It was a unique story. It was so different than what yes. Mario usually does. Exactly. And Mario continued to do after it released. Outside of like the Paper Marios and yeah. things like that. But those were different, right? They were still... They still had some different villains and whatever, but Super Mario RPG feels like an RPG experience that is more traditional to what, you know, the Dragon Quest, the Final Fantasies that came before it. And so I think you just do that again. But you... you 
I am totally <laughs> have faith in the Mario team. If they can change from 64 to Galaxy, Sunshine, all that, yes, and everything yeah. feels different, you could make a sequel to this game and they make it feel fresh. Totally make like a Diablo knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> you have the characters, yeah, you, you can, have the animations. You know what? Make an action RPG Mario yeah. game. I've never thought about that. Be, that would be interesting. Again, that does that goes against what you were going at, but uh, it's just yeah, it's. I'm just trying to think from an RPG standpoint. I think I would just really because like my my fear is, and maybe this is like not a good argument because technically Super Mario RPG did what my complaint is always been with Mario is it changed up the story, which is great. Uh, I just just do it again better. Maybe just do it again. That that might be good enough, but I still think I would like to see a mature Mario. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we like our sequel so let's get a sequel to a 30 year old game i can't believe we're getting a remake that's just a bull blows my mind november crazy crazy and it looks so good well well, you know and that's the most nintendo thing ever too because typically when you hear like i mean look sony's doing it with final fantasy 7 remake right like we it got announced uh 850 years ago and we're hoping to get part two of a game that was only one you know game Uh. where nintendo literally just they're like hey here, we're working on this. Shock you completely. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's releasing this year, too. Like, only Nintendo gets away with stuff I like know, this. Right? They're it's, the best. They're the best at that, that's for sure. I have my qualms with them, but this is a JRPG RPG podcast. It is now in the ether, so you can visit it whenever you like to. So we have made your save point. And, you know, you can come and listen to it again later when... Ah, this, the sequel to Mario RPG is never in existence, and you can laugh at us, because that's what will probably happen. Larry, thank you for doing a podcast with me. Thank you for having me, brother. Yeah, maybe we'll do this again sometime, you know? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see.